serious and weighty questions clearly and satisfactorily answered from the collected works of Thomas Brooks. The first question or case is this. What are the special remedies, means, or helps against cherishing or keeping up of any special or peculiar sin, either in heart or life, against the Lord or against the light and conviction of a man's own conscience? Before I come to the resolution of this question, I shall premise a few things that may clear my way. First, when men's hearts are sincere with God, when they don't indulge, cherish, or keep up any known transgression in their hearts or lives against the Lord, they may on very good grounds plead an interest in God, in Christ, and in the covenant of grace, though their corruptions prevail against them, and too frequently worse them and lead them captive, as is most evident in these scriptures, Second Samuel 23, 5, Psalm 65, 3, Romans 7, 23, and 25, Isaiah 63, 16, and 17, Jeremiah 14, 7, and 9, Hosea 14, 1 to 4, and verse 8. But now, when any man's heart condemns him for dealing deceitfully and guilefully with God in this or that, or the other particular, or for connivings or winking at any known transgression that is kept up, either in his heart or life against the Lord, and against the light of his own conscience, which he will not let go, nor in good earnest use the means in which it should be subdued and mortified. It is not to be expected that such a person can come to any clearness or satisfaction about their interest in Christ, in the covenant of grace, in their right to the great things of that other world. When a person will dally with sin and will be playing with snares and baits and allows a secret liberty in his heart to sin, conniving at many workings of it, and not setting upon mortification with earnest endeavors. Though they are connived, yet they are not persuaded to arise with all their might against the Lord's enemies, but do his work negligently, which is an accursed thing. And for this God casts such a person into sore straits, and lets them wander in the dark without any sight, sense, or assurance of their gracious state, or interest in Christ, and so on. The Israelites should perfectly have rooted out the Canaanites, but because they did it but by halves and did not engage all their power and strength against them, therefore God left them to be as thorns in their eyes and as goads in their sides. So when men have taken Christ's press money and are engaged to fight with all their might against those rebels at war against him in their hearts, ways, and walkings, and to pursue the victory to the utmost, till their spiritual enemies lie dead at their feet, and yet they do but trifle and make slender opposition against their sins. This provokes God to stand afar off and to hide his reconciled face from them. It is true, when men are really in Christ, they ought not to question their state in him, but yet a guilty conscience will be clamorous and full of objections, and God will not speak peace to it until it be humbled at his foot. God will make his dear children know that it is a bitter thing to be bold with sin. Now before I lay down the remedies, give me leave to show you what it is to indulge sin, or when a man may be said to indulge or cherish or keep up any known transgression in the soul against the Lord. Now for a clear understanding of me in this particular, take me thus first. To indulge sin or to cherish it is to make daily provision for it, Romans 13 verse 14. 
It is to give the breast to it and to feed it and nourish it, as fond parents do feed and humor the sick child, the darling child. It must have what it will and do what it will. It must not be crossed. Now, when men ordinarily, habitually, commonly, are studious and laborious to make provision for sin, then sin is indulged by them. But secondly, when sin is commonly, habitually, sweet and pleasant to the soul, when a man takes a daily pleasure and delight in sin, then sin is indulged. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 12. You read of them that had pleasure in unrighteousness, Isaiah 66 verse 3. And their soul delights in their abominations, Proverbs 2 verse 14. Who rejoice to do evil, and so on. Thirdly, when men commonly, habitually, side with sin and take up arms in the defense of sin... And in defiance of the commands of God, emotions of the spirit, the checks of conscience, and the reproofs of others, and sin is indulged. But fourthly, when men ordinarily, habitually, do yield a quiet, free, willing, and total subjection to the authority and commands of sin, then sin is indulged. That man that is wholly addicted and devoted to the service of sin, that man indulges sin, now, in under these senses, does any godly man indulge anyone's sin in his soul? Though sin lives in him, yet he does not live in sin. Every man that has drink in him is not in drink. A child of God may slip into sin, as a sheep may slip into the mire, but he does not, nor cannot wallow in sin as a swine does in the mire, nor yet keep on in a road of sin as sinners do. Psalm 139, verse 24. See if there be any wicked way in me. Of course, a trait of sin is not consistent with the truth or state of grace. Job 10, verse 7. You know that I am not wicked. He does not say, you know that I am not a sinner, or that you know that I have not sinned. No, for the best of saints are sinners, though the worst and weakest of saints are not wicked. Every real Christian is a renewed Christian. And every renewed Christian takes his denomination from his renovation and not from the remainder of corruptions in him. And therefore such a one may well look God in the face and say, Lord, you know that I am not wicked. Certainly that man gives a strong demonstration of his own uprightness who dares appeal to God himself that he is not wicked. That no godly man does or can indulge himself in any course or way or trade of sin may be thus evident from first he sins not with allowance. When he does evil, he disallows of the evil he does. Romans 7, verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. A Christian is sometimes wearied and whirled away by sin before he is aware or has time to consider of it. See Psalm 119, verses 1 and 3. 1 John 3, 9, Proverbs 16, 12. Secondly, a godly man hates all known sin. Psalm 119, verse 128. I hate every false way. True hatred is against a whole kind of sin. The contrariety to sin which is in a real Christian springs from an inward gracious nature or principle, and so is to the whole species or kind of sin, and is irreconcilable to any sin whatsoever. As contrarieties of nature are to the whole kind, as light is contrary to all darkness and fire to all water, so this contrariety to all sin arising from the inward man is universal to all sin. 
He who hates a toad because it is a toad hates every toad. And he who hates a godly man because he is godly, he hates every godly man. And so he who hates sin because it is sin, he hates every sin. Romans 7.15 What I hate, that I do. Thirdly, every godly man would fain have his sins not only pardoned, but destroyed. His heart is alienated from his sins, and therefore nothing will serve him or satisfy him but the blood and death of his sins, Isaiah 2.20, Isaiah 30.22, Hosea 14.8, and Romans 8.24. Saul hated David and sought his life, and Haman hated Mordecai and sought his destruction, and Absalom hated Amnon and killed him. Julian the apostate hated the Christians and put many thousands of them to death. The great thing that a Christian has in his eye and all the duties he performs, and in all the ordinance that he attends, is the blood and death and ruin of his sins. Fourthly, every godly man groans under the burden of sin, Second Corinthians 5, verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Never did any porter groan more to be delivered from his heavy burden than a Christian groans to be delivered from the burden of sin, the burden of affliction, the burden of temptation, the burden of desertion, the burden of opposition, the burden of persecution, the burden of scorn and contempt is nothing to the burden of sin. Fifthly, every godly man combats and conflicts with all known sin. and every gracious soul, there is a constant and perpetual conflict. The flesh will still be a lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17, Romans 7.22 and 23. 1 Kings 14, 30, and 31. Though sin and grace were not born together, and though sin and grace shall never die together, yet while a believer lives in this world, they must be together. And while sin and grace do cohabit together, they will still be opposing and conflicting one with another. Sixthly, every gracious heart is still a crying out against his sins. He cries out to God to subdue them, he cries out to Christ to crucify them. He cries out to the Spirit to mortify them. He cries out to faithful ministers to arm him against them. And he cries out to sincere Christians that they would pray hard that he may be made victorious over them. Now certainly it is a most sure sign that sin has not gained a man's heart, a man's love nor his consent, but committed a rape upon his soul when he cries out bitterly against his sin. It is observable that if the ravished virgin under the law cried out, she was guiltless, Deuteronomy 22, 25, and 27. Certainly such as cry out of their sins, and that would not for all the world indulge themselves in a way of sin, such are guiltless before the Lord. That which a Christian does not indulge himself in, that he does not do in divine account. But, seventhly, the fixed purposes and designs of a godly man is not to sin. Psalm 17, verse 3. I am purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. That is, I have laid my design so as not to sin. Though I may have many particular failings, yet my general purpose is not to sin. Psalm 39, 1. I said I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Whenever a godly man sins, he sins against the general purpose of his soul. David laid a law upon his tongue. 
He uses three words in the first and second verses to the same purpose, which is if he should say in plain English, I was silent, I was silent, I was silent. And all this to express how he kept in his passion that he might not offend with his tongue. Though a godly man sins, yet he does not purpose to sin, for his purposes are fixed against sin. Holiness is his highway, and his sin is itself a byway, so it is besides his way. The honest traveler purposes to keep straight on his way, so that if at any time he misses way, he misses his purpose. Though Peter denied Christ, yet he did not purpose to deny Christ. Yea, the settled purpose of his soul was rather to die with Christ than to deny Christ. Matthew 26, verse 35. Peter said to him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. Interpreters agree that Peter meant, as he speaks, but eighthly, the settled resolutions of a gracious heart is not to sin. Psalm 119, 106. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep your righteous judgments. Nehemiah 10, 28 to 31. Dwell on it. Job 31, 1. Micah 4, 5. For all people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So Daniel and the three children... Blessed Bishop Hooper resolves rather to be discharged of his bishopric than yield to certain ceremonies. Jerome writes of a brave woman who, being upon the rack, bid her persecutors do their worst, for she was resolved that she would rather die than lie. The Prince of Condé, being taken prisoner by Charles IX of France and put to his choice, first, whether he would go to Mass, or second, be put to death, or thirdly, suffer perpetual imprisonment, answered, As the first I will never do, by the assistance of God's grace. And as for the other two, let the king do with me what he pleases, for I am very well assured that God will turn all to the best. The heaven shall as soon fall, said William Flower to the bishop, that persuaded him to save his life by retracting, as I will forsake the opinion and faith I am in, God assisting of me. Ninthly, there is a real willingness in every gracious soul to be rid of all sin. Romans 7, 24. Hosea 14, 2 and 8. Job 7, verse 21. Saving grace makes a Christian as willing to leave his sin as a slave is willing to leave his galley, or a prisoner his dungeon, or a thief his bolts, or a beggar his rags. Many a day have I sought death with tears, saith blessed Cooper, not out of impatience, distrust, or perturbation, but because I am weary of sin and fearful of falling into it. Look, as the daughters of Heth even made Rebekah weary of her life, Genesis 27:46. So corruptions within make a gracious soul even weary of his life. A gracious soul looks upon sin with his evil and is envious an eye as Saul looked on David when the evil spirit was upon him. O oh, saith Saul, that I was but once well rid of this David, and O oh, saith the gracious soul, that I was but once well rid of this proud heart, this hard heart, this unbelieving heart, this unclean heart, this earthly heart, this forward heart of mine. Tenthly, every godly man complains of his known sins and mourns over his known sins, and would fain be rid of his known sins, as might be made evident out of many scores of Scripture, Job 7, verse 21, Psalm 51, verse 14, Hosea 2. Eleventhly, every gracious soul sets himself mostly, resolutely, valiantly, and habitually against his special sins, his constitution sins, 
his most prevalent sin, Psalm 18, verse 23. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Certainly that which is a special sin of a godly man is his special burden. It is not delighted in, but lamented. There is no sin which causes him so much sorrow as that to which either the temper of his body or the occasions of his life leads him. That sin which he finds his heart most set upon, he sets his heart, his whole soul, the most against. The scriptures give evidence that David, though a man after God's own heart, was very apt to fall into the sin of lying. He used many unlawful shifts. We read of this often faltering in that kind when he was in straits and hard put to it. 1 Samuel 21, 2 and 8. 1 Samuel 27, 8 and 10. But it is as clear in Scripture that his heart was set against lying, and that it was the grief and daily burden of his soul, certainly that sin is a man's greatest burden and grief which he prays most to be delivered from. Oh, how earnestly did David pray to be delivered from the sin of lying. Psalm 119, verse 29, keep me from the way of lying. And as he prayed earnestly against lying, so as earnestly he detested it, verse 163, I hate and abhor lying. The lying was David's special sin, yet he hated and abhorred it as he did hell itself. And he tells us how he was affected or afflicted rather with that sin, whatsoever it was, which was his iniquity, Psalm 31, verse 10. My life is spent with grief and my years with signs. My strength fails and my bones are consumed. Or moth-eaten, as the Hebrew has it. Here are deep expressions of a troubled spirit, and why all this? Mark, he gives you the reason of it in the same verse. Because of mine iniquity, as if he had said, there is a base corruption which so haunts and dogs me that my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. He found, it seems, his heart running out to some sin or other, which yet was so far from being a beloved sin, a bosom sin, a darning sin, that it was a breaking of his heart and a consumption of his bones. Psalm 38, verse 18, I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. There is no sin that a gracious heart is more perfectly set against than against his special sin. For by this sin, God first has been most dishonored, and secondly, Christ most crucified, and thirdly, the Spirit most grieved, and fourthly, conscience most wounded, fifthly, Satan most advantaged, and sixthly, mercies most embittered, duties most hindered fears and doubts most raised and increased, and afflictions most multiplied. Death made most formidable and terrible, and therefore he breaks out against his sin with the greatest detestation and abhorrency. Ephraim's special sin was idolatry, Hosea 4, verse 17. He thought the choicest gold and silver in the world hardly good enough to frame his idols of. But when it was the day of the Lord's gracious power upon Ephraim, then he thought no place bad enough to cast his choicest idols to, as you may see by comparing of these scriptures together. Hosea 14, verse 8, Isaiah 2, verse 20, Isaiah 30, verse 22. True grace will make a man stand stoutly and steadfastly on God's side and work to heart to take part with him against a man's special sins, though they be as right eyes or right eyes. True grace will lay hands upon a man's special sins and cry out to heaven, Lord, crucify them, crucify them, down with them, down with them, even to the ground. 
Lord, do justice, do speedy justice, do signal justice, do exemplary justice upon these special sins of mine. Lord, hew down, root and branch. Let the very stumps of this dagon be broken all in pieces. Lord, curse this wild fig tree that never more fruit may grow thereon. But twelfthly, there is no time in which a gracious soul cannot sincerely say with the apostle in that of Hebrew 13:18, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willingly to live honestly. Gracious hearts affect that which they cannot effect. So Acts twenty four sixteen, and in this do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men, in all cases, in all places, by all means, and at all times. A sincere Christian labors to have a good conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. That is, it is the ordinary, usual, constant course of an upright man to depart from evil. An honest traveler may step out of the king's highway into a house, a wood, a close, but his work, his business, is to go on in the king's highway. So the business, the work of an upright man is to depart from evil. It is possible for an upright man to step into a sinful path or to touch upon sinful facts. But his main way, his principal work in business, is to depart from iniquity. As a bee may light upon a thistle, but her work is to be gathering at flowers. Or as a sheep may slip into the dirt, but its work is to be grazing upon the mountains or in the meadows. But lastly, Jesus Christ is a real Christian's only beloved. He is a saint's only darling. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. When the Dutch martyr was asked whether he did not love his wife and children, he answered, Were all the world a lump of gold and in my hand to dispose of, I would give it to live with my wife and children in a prison. But Christ is dearer to me than all. Jerome says, If my father should stand before me, and if my mother should hang upon me, and my brethren should press about me, I would break through my brethren, throw down my mother, and tread underfoot my father, that I might cleave the faster and closer to Jesus Christ. Now by these thirteen arguments it is most clear that no gracious Christian does or can indulge himself in any trade, course, or way of sins.